I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 12. As the year 2000 approaches, we see more and more people getting more and more interested in the future. And they seem to be motivated by several reasons. One would be curiosity. Some people simply wonder what's coming next. Other people are motivated by greed. They want to figure out what's coming next so that they can capitalize on it. But I think the prominent reason people want to know the future is fear. Fear of the unexpected. When I ride a roller coaster, I have the advantage of being tall. And I like to look ahead to see where the next curve is going so it doesn't take me by surprise. But life for most people is like riding Space Mountain. You ride in the dark. And some of the curves can throw you right off the track. And people look ahead with fear, wondering if there might be personal injury or death ahead, if there might be national collapse, if there might be international chaos. There is an innate fear of the unknown in man. And movies today really feed on that fear. We've got movies like Independence Day where extraterrestrials attack the earth. And we've got movies like Jurassic Park 2 or whatever it is where the dinosaurs come and eat us. And we've got movies about natural disasters like Twister. Man is interested in the future. And in an attempt to answer those questions about the future, more and more people are turning to astrology and fortune tellers and palm readers and mediums and psychics. And yet in all their attempts, there's a dark shade over the window to the future for most people. People can't see very far. And the things that they do see taking shape at best are disturbing. If you ask most people what they think is going to happen in the future, it's evident that they don't have the kind of answer that resolves their fear. Well, the Bible has that answer. The Bible tells us what is going to happen tomorrow. And one of the books in the Bible that tells us the most about the future is the book of Daniel. In this book, we learn about the future in detail that is astounding. It chronicles the four world empires that would come on the scene from Daniel's day to the present, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. It describes the kings that would come two, three, four hundred years after Daniel. Kings like Alexander the Great and Antiochus Epiphanes. In fact, those prophecies are so detailed that critics of the book of Daniel say that it had to be written in the second century by an historian rather than in the sixth century B.C. by a prophet. It defines the time right down to the day when Jesus would ride the donkey into Jerusalem and present himself as king. It describes things yet to be fulfilled like the great tribulation, the coming of the Antichrist, the final world war, the coming of Christ in his kingdom. This is a remarkable book. And this morning we have come to the closing verses, chapter 12, verses 4 to 13. And they form a kind of postscript to the book. Notice verse 4. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Daniel is told to conceal these words and seal them up. Now what does that mean? Well, it means the end. There's no more information coming. That's the last word. Put a period here. But it also means more than that. 
because Daniel is told to seal it up. Remember in Daniel chapter 6, when Daniel was put into the lion's den, the king put his seal on the lion's den so that no one would tamper with it. Same thing is done with documents. Daniel is told, seal this up, protect it, so that no one tampers with it. And then beyond that, he's told also to conceal it. That same word is used back in chapter 8 and verse 26, and it's translated, keep the vision secret. It means to hide it away. And in this case, it's the idea of Daniel putting it in a safe and private place. Now, why is Daniel supposed to take his message and hide it and protect it? Well, the answer is given in verse 4. Conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. You see, Daniel's message is not primarily for Daniel. And it's not primarily for the people in Daniel's day. His message is for people in the time of the end. Now, when is the time of the end? We'll go back in chapter 11 to verse 40, and it says, At the end time, the king of the south will collide with him. Who's him? The him goes back to verse 36. The king who will do as he pleases, who is the Antichrist. So the time of the end is primarily the time of the great tribulation, which tells me that during the great tribulation, they will be studying the book of Daniel. There will be Bible studies everywhere on the book of Daniel. And if you're planning to be here during the Great Tribulation, you might want to get the tapes. But when we get to the New Testament, we find that the New Testament uses this same phrase and other phrases like it, the last days, the last time, to refer to a broader space that includes the time in which we live. For instance, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18 says, Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen. From this we know that it is the last hour. We are living in the last hour. And so Daniel was told to seal up his prophecy for our day. It's a message for us. When we come to the New Testament, we find that John had a revelation in the book we call Revelation. The last chapter of that book, the angel who is speaking to him says something interesting to John. Revelation 22.10, John says, And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Daniel is told, Seal it up, it's for the last days. John is told, Leave it open, because the time is near. The book of Daniel is open today because it's a message to us. Now the angel makes an interesting comment after this in verse 4. He says, seal it up, conceal it, until the end of time, many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. What will be the characteristic of the end time? There will be an acceleration of travel and there will be an acceleration of knowledge. Now, does that describe our day? When Daniel wrote this, he could travel by horse or camel, and if he wanted to go really fast, he could get on a chariot. A hundred years ago, we had not accelerated very much from that. A hundred years ago, 
the most common form of transportation was still the horse and buggy. Of course, if you wanted to go a little faster, the train had been around for about 50 years and you could get on a train and go a maximum of about 30 miles an hour. Today, 100 years later, we have been to the moon. We can travel to Europe in less than three hours. And if you still prefer the train, there are trains today that travel in ex excess of 200 miles an hour. We are flying today. We are moving back and forth. And you know, the speed of transportation has not only allowed us to get places faster, it has changed us. We have changed in the process. Today we are impatient if we're not moving 70 miles an hour down the road. In 1900, Harrods department store installed a new device called an escalator. They couldn't get anybody to use it. So they gave people a shot of brandy at the top. Both as an incentive to ride the escalator and also to offset the rapid altitude change. Today, we've got people tying rubber bands around their ankles and diving off bridges because we're moving everywhere and we want to keep moving. What's the common statement today? Been there, done that, I'm finished with that, I've got to move on, we're flying around. And the angel says to Daniel, the characteristic of the end time is that men will be going back and forth. Not only that, but he also says that knowledge will increase. Has knowledge increased? Knowledge is growing so rapidly today that James Naisbitt, in his best-selling book, Megatrends, says, knowledge is doubling every two and a half years. That means if you graduated from college two and a half years ago, you are already halfway out of date. Things are changing rapidly. In his book, Future Shock, Toffler said, the world of today is as different from the world of 60 years ago as the world of 60 years ago was from Julius Caesar's time. In 1949, a computer weighed several tons and filled an entire room. Less than 30 years later, we had desktop computers. Less than 10 years later, we had laptop computers. What's next? Pocket computers. Computers can do calculations in seconds that it would take a person hours, days, years to do. In fact, a computer by the name of Deep Blue just recently beat the best chess player in the world. And not only are they smart, they can introduce us to what? The information superhighway and bring all that information that is doubling every two and a half years right to our fingertips. The statement in Daniel 12:4 that knowledge will increase certainly describes our day. It is estimated that 95% of all the scientists and engineers who ever lived are alive today. Technological change is so rapid it's mind-boggling. Harry Fosdick said everything is moving so fast these days that the man who says it can't be done is generally interrupted by someone doing it. Now when you have rapid transportation and increased knowledge, 
the obvious implication is that information moves faster. 125 years ago, our fastest and most efficient form of communication was the Pony Express. Information could circle the globe 125 years ago in six months. Do you realize that the tribulation could not have taken place 125 years ago? You know why? Revelation chapter 11 describes two witnesses that are sent by God to perform miracles and to prophesy for the first half of the tribulation. And it says at the midpoint of the tribulation, the Antichrist will finally get tired of these two guys and he will kill them. And Revelation 11:8 says their dead bodies will lie in the streets of Jerusalem. And listen to the words of Revelation 11:9. And those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days. Now, how are people from all over the world going to look at their dead bodies? Well, 125 years ago, people from all over the world wouldn't even hear about it in three and a half days. But today, we have CNN, worldwide TV, and not only will people hear about it, they will see it in living color. And so Daniel is told to seal up the book because it's for the end time. It's for the day when many will be going back and forth and knowledge will increase. Now having said that, let me also add a secondary meaning that I think is also in this verse because the phrase many will go back and forth is used other times in the Old Testament to refer to people searching for God's truth. For instance, Amos chapter 8 and verse 12 says, And people will stagger from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east, they will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord. And if that's the idea there in verse 4, then the idea of increased knowledge means increased prophetic knowledge. There will be an increase in the knowledge of the book of Daniel. So not only will knowledge in general increase in the last times, but also prophetic truth. Now, we have come to the end of the book of Daniel, and some of you may be saying, I don't understand this very well. But let me tell you something. You and I understand it better than Daniel did. If you slide down in chapter 12 to verse 8, Daniel says, as for me, I heard but could not understand. Daniel didn't understand it. We understand it better than he did. Why? Well, because we are in a position to look back and see how many of the Old Testament prophecies have already been fulfilled, we also have the advantage of having the New Testament with the book of Revelation to add to our information, and we also can see these things developing on the horizon and see how they are going to be fulfilled. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10 gives us an interesting little insight. It says, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry. Daniel wrote Daniel, and then he studied Daniel, and he was still scratching his head. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 17, many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And that's why he said, blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. We live in a privileged time. Daniel was told to seal up his book for our day. 
If you want to read something that's relevant, don't go to the bestseller list. Come to the book of Daniel. And just to confirm that Daniel didn't understand all of what he was writing down, this book ends with a question and answer period starting in verse 5. We, we think that giving a lecture and then having question and answers afterwards is a new idea. God did it 2,500 years ago with Daniel. Gave him the lecture and now he's going to conclude with some questions and answers. Verse 5, Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river and the other on that bank of the river. And one said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be until the end of these wonders? Now, if you go back to chapter 10 and verse 4, you'll find that Daniel is presently at the Tigris River. He has been there through chapter 10, 11, and 12 as the angel has given him this final revelation in his book. And so now he says that he sees two others. Two other what? Two other angels. One is standing on the same side of the river he is. One is standing on the other side. And by the way, the Tigris is a pretty big river, and so that would be pretty far apart. And then he says, in the middle... Over the river, I saw a man clothed in linen. Who's that? Well, back in chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, we find him described in the same way that John describes the Lord Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. So this is a pre-incarnate visit of Christ. And one of these angels is asking him the question, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? Now, the word wonders means unique things things that make you wonder, things that amaze you. And what is it that amazes an angel? Well, if you go back in chapter 11 and verse 36, I think he's talking about the fact there that we're told that a man will exalt and magnify himself as God. That amazes the angels because they know God and man doesn't measure up. And so he sees this man exalting himself as God and he is amazed. And his question is, God, how long are you going to put up with that? Now let me add a footnote here. The fact that an angel is asking this question tells us that angels are not fully informed about the future. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 1, where we're told that Daniel and the other prophets didn't understand the things they were writing, we also encounter this phrase in verse 12, they are things into which angels long to look. We understand some things that angels don't understand. And so the angel asked the question, how long is this guy going to be in the temple parading around as God? And the answer comes in verse 7. And I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. When someone made an oath in that day, they lifted their right hand. We still do that today. Raise your right hand and repeat after me. I solemnly swear to tell the whole truth. In Genesis chapter 14 and verse 22, Abraham says to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high. And the word sworn there literally means I have lifted my hand. Here we see the pre-incarnate Christ raise his right hand and also his left hand as if to say this is a double oath that what I'm saying is true and what is the answer he says it will last for a time one year times two years and a half three and a half years 
Now we know that's correct from the book of Revelation. Revelation 12, 14 uses the same phrase when it speaks about how long God will protect Israel. And it says it will be for a time, times, and half a time. And then earlier in that same chapter, chapter 12, verse 6, it describes the same period as 1260 days. And in Revelation 13, 5, we have further evidence of that because it's measured as 42 months. And so the Lord tells the angel that the length of the great tribulation will be three and a half years. And then he ties it to an event. Notice the end of verse 7. It will be for a time, times, and half a time. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. The last event in the great tribulation will be when Israel's power is totally shattered. And that's confirmed in Zechariah chapter 14. If you just turn over there for a moment. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 2 says, For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, and half of the city exiled. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. What's that describing? All the nations will come against Jerusalem. That's the same description we have in Revelation chapter 16 of Armageddon. When these nations of the world come up against Jerusalem and they plunder the city, what's the next thing that happens? Verse 3, Then... The Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. What happens? Israel's power is shattered. Their city is plundered. The very next thing that occurs is Jesus comes back and puts an end to the reign of the Antichrist. And so the great tribulation will last for three and a half years and the final event will be that Israel's power will be shattered. Which brings us to a second question in Daniel chapter 12. And that comes in verse 8. Daniel says, As for me, I heard but could not understand. I heard what was being said, but I didn't understand it. So I said, My Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? Now, the word events in my Bible is in italics. Your Bible may say things. It's also in italics. When a word is in italics in the Bible, it means it's not really in there. So what Daniel really says here is, what will be the outcome of these? These what? Well, we have to understand that from the context. What was just said in verse 7? The end of verse 7 says, there will be the shattering of the power of the holy people. And Daniel says, what's going to be the outcome of these? These what? These people. What's going to be, what's going to happen to the holy people of Israel? Will they survive? That's his question. Notice the answer in verse 9. And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. What's the answer? He didn't get one. God says, Go away, Daniel, and stop asking questions. The people in the end time will understand. Now, I suppose the book could have ended there. It would be a little disappointing to end on that note. Go away, Daniel, and stop asking questions. But that's what the Lord says to him. But you know what I appreciate here is that we see the character of God. Because the Lord says, go away, Daniel, stop asking questions. They'll understand in the end time. Then he comes right back in verse 10, and you know what he does? He answers his question. It's like, Daniel, you, this really doesn't apply to you. Go about your business. And then he comes back to Daniel, and he gives him the answer. Verse 10, he says, here's the answer. What's going to happen to these people? 
Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. The whole point of the shattering of Israel is to bring them to the point of repentance and faith in Jesus as their Messiah. And he says that is going to happen to many. But then he says there will also be others. And the same persecution will just cause the wicked to act more wickedly. We see that in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 11 describes the reaction of the city of Jerusalem to the tribulation. Here's what it says in verse 13. And in that hour there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell and 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Earthquake, 7,000 people killed, tribulation on the city of Jerusalem. What happened? It says they were terrified and gave God glory. A few chapters later in Revelation 16, 9, here's what we read. And men were scorched with fierce heat and they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. Same kind of persecution, two responses. Those in Israel repented and gave God glory. Others blasphemed, refused to repent, and wouldn't give him glory. Daniel says that's going to be the outcome. And then he says not only will that be displayed in their actions, it'll also be displayed in their understanding the end of verse 10, and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. With all the knowledge that will be around in that day, there will still be many who just don't have a clue when it comes to the truth of God. Come to verse 11. And from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Now, the Lord goes on to give some information that Daniel didn't ask for. This really maybe goes back to the angel's question. He's going to give him some more time answers here. Now, the tribulation lasts for three and a half years. book of Revelation says that's 42 months or 1,260 days. Here it says it's going to last for 1,290 days, and so that's an extra 30 days. What happens during those 30 days? Well, I think we have an idea in this verse. It says, from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, from the time that the Antichrist, as we're told in Daniel 9.27, comes into the temple, sets himself up as God and stops everything else that's going on in the temple, from that time, Daniel is told, there will be 1,290 days. 1,290 days until what? Well, we're not told. I assume it means 1,290 days until the temple is reestablished to what it's supposed to be. Christ will come back at 1,260 days. There'll be 30 more days when he will do something, and I think that is cleanse the temple. And I think that will happen physically by restoring it, but I think it'll also happen spiritually because I think there'll be, need to be a work done in the people of Israel at that point in time. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 says, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. When Jesus comes back, the children of Israel are going to look on him and realize he's the one we pierced. He's the one we said... We didn't want. Away with him, away with him. We will not have this man to reign over us. And they are going to weep over their past. 
And if you read on in Zechariah chapter 12, it talks about considerable mourning that takes place there. And what I view this 30 days to be, you know, you know when, when we are taken up in the rapture before the tribulation, you know what's going to happen in heaven? While we're in heaven, what's going to happen is what the New Testament calls the judgment seat of Christ. He's going to deal with us in heaven based on the things we've done. And there will be reward at that time. There will also be shame at that time. We will be prepared during that time to come back with him. During the first 30 days after he comes back, I think he's going to deal with Israel in, in much the same way. He's going to deal with them and prepare them for the kingdom. Which brings us to the next verse, verse 12. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. Now that's an additional 45 days. What's going to happen then? Well, he says, blessed are those who get there. So it must be something blessed. What blessed thing happens after the tribulation? The kingdom. But it says there'll be 45 days until the kingdom starts. Now, what's going to go on there? Well, if you read Matthew chapter 25, you'll find that when Jesus returns, he's going to do something. He's going to judge the nations. And he's going to take the nations and those who are faithful to Israel in the time of the tribulation, he's going to put them on his right, and they're called the sheep. And he's going to put the others on his left, and they're called the goats. And then he's going to allow those sheep nations to enter the kingdom. And so if we put that equation together, that means that while we're in heaven, the church is being judged by Christ. He comes back and for 30 days he deals with Israel and then for the next 45 days he judges the nations and then we're ready to enter the kingdom. Now I might add, that's just speculation. I couldn't find anybody else who agreed with me. So uh, you, you take that for what it's worth. But, but we're not really told here. This may be one of those passages that really won't be fully understand, un understood until those in the Great Tribulation are going through it. I'll tell you what, these will be encouraging verses to those in the Great Tribulation because if I was there, I'd have a big calendar. I'd be marking every one of these days off as it went by, timing this event that's going to happen. And then we come to a final verse, and this is a personal word to Daniel, verse 13. But as for you, go your way to the end... Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Daniel's about 90 years old at this point in time. God tells him three things. The first is his responsibility. He says, go your way till the end. End of what? End of your life. Daniel, this is for the end time, this writing that you're doing. I want you to go about your life and serve me with the rest of your life. In other words, I've told you about this prophecy. I don't want you to put your pajamas on and go up on the roof and wait for me to come. I want you to go about your business and serve me. And that's always the message of prophecy. God tells us what's going to happen tomorrow so that it might impact our life today. First is responsibility. Second is resurrection. He says, then you will enter into rest and rise again. Here he's letting Daniel know that even though Daniel won't be around for the end time, He's not going to get left out on anything. You will go about your business until the end of your life, then you will rest, then you will rise. Which brings us to a third point, and that is the reward. He says, you will rise for your allotted portion at the end of the days. The word allotted portion means your inheritance, and I like that. Because Daniel never owned any ground in Israel. He spent all but 14 years in Babylon. And now God says to him, Daniel, when it comes time for a reward, you're going to get an inheritance and you're going to reign with me. Great word of comfort to him. 
as we approach the year 2000, I think we can find great encouragement from the book of Daniel. One encouragement is that you don't have to understand it all to get into the kingdom. Because Daniel didn't understand it and he got in. And I think some of us can take great comfort in that. You don't have to be able to catalog every detail. You don't have to have a prophecy chart on your wall at home to get into the kingdom. In fact, I'm certain that when I get into the kingdom, I'm going to change my, some of my prophetic views. Because <laughs> some I feel strongly about may not even be accurate. But I'm encouraged by the fact that you don't have to understand prophecy to get into the kingdom. What do you have to do to get into the kingdom? You have to become like a child. And in childlike faith, you have to trust the one that Daniel met, the Lord Jesus. But we do need to understand that God has the future all mapped out. From Nebuchadnezzar to Antichrist. And God has the future all measured out right down to the very day. And if you want to eliminate your fear of the future, just come to grips with the truth that God is in control. And then also, we need to understand the way it's described in verse 10. We need to understand so that we are purged, purified, and refined. In other words, we need to understand the book of Daniel, and that needs to bring us to our knees in repentance so that God can do His work in our lives. And so that we, along with Daniel, will have that prayer from our heart, Thy kingdom come.